I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today we conclude a series of messages under the general title of Wisdom in the Wilderness. Specifically today we focus on the third temptation faced by Jesus in the wilderness. Our scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 4 verses 8 through 11. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, two women from California were running together as a team in the New York City Marathon. And for the first 16 miles, their times were rather slow. But then, seemingly, they were transformed into world-class athletes because when they passed the finish line, their time was near record pace. What happened? What had occurred? Believe it or not, they took a shortcut. They skipped the Bronx section of the race and then made a beeline for the finish line. Forty years earlier, a woman named Rosie Ruiz had done the same thing at the Boston Marathon. What was her shortcut? She took the subway part of the way <laughs> to the finish line. Neither of those shortcuts worked. Both of them failed. The world champion salesman of shortcuts is Satan. He knows that God's way, the straight and narrow, he knows it's sometimes tough, often unpopular, generally countercultural. He knows that God's way is not popular with a whole lot of big high tech, mainstream media and academia. So, Satan grins like a huckster at a county fair, and he says, hey, brother and sister, I've got a shortcut in mind for you. And I'll tell you, it's easier, it's cheaper, and it's more popular than God's way. If you'll just let me be your road guide, I'll make you a king or a queen 
Just put me in charge. A shortcut to the top. That could be the title of the third temptation leveled at Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. The devil takes Jesus in a vision up to a tremendously high mountain where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And in Luke's version of the temptation, Satan tells an outright lie, which is not unusual. He's the father of lies. Satan says to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Satan is lying here, just like he did in the Garden of Eden, because Satan does not own the kingdoms of the world, never has. God has never given Satan anything except a hard time. In fact, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And in the Gospel of John, we read, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his, Jesus' power. When the devil asked Jesus to worship him, he did not necessarily mean for Jesus to fall down on his knees and pray to him. What he wanted from Jesus? Obedience. Obedience is the truest form of worship. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what the devil wanted from Jesus. Obedience. Satan was saying to our Lord, I'll make you the king of kings. And you won't have to do all that suffering stuff. Be humiliated, spat upon, nailed to a cross. I can bypass all that. Just put me in charge. Do it my way. Satan continues to try that third temptation on you and me. He flashes before us all the symbols of success in this world. The luxurious houses and cars. The social prestige and influence. The money, enough money to not only fulfill our dreams, but the dreams of our children and grandchildren. And Satan says, you can have it all if you'll just let me call the shots. I'll show you how to cut some corners. I can get you to your goal quicker and with less stress and strength. I fell for a shortcut when I was eight or nine years old. It was not a shortcut of Satan particularly, more of ignorance. My family was living in uh, a town in upstate South Carolina. And the neighborhood grocery there was run by a man named Mr. Strout. I'll never forget his name. And I was in and out of the store quite often with my family, sometimes by myself. Uh, on my allowance day, I was usually in the store to pick up a little ice cream or bubble gum or whatever. I was in this store one day, and I saw a lady with an arm full of groceries step up to the counter, and she said, Mr. Strout, charge it. And he noted the groceries she had and said, fine, Mrs. Brown, have a nice day. And I stood there in amazement. All this time, I had thought money was necessary to carry out transactions at the Strout store. How could I know that there were magic words? If you just knew the magic words, charge it. So I began using the magic words. Get my bubble gum, my ice cream, step up there to the counter, Mr. Strout, charge it. And he would note my items and say, fine, Billy, have a nice day. 
wow, I just couldn't get over how wonderful life was with the magic words. And so I began to invite some of my friends to come in. I said, get anything you want. Yeah, it's all on me. I know the magic words. I know it works. And it worked for them too. It was fantastic. I mean, I enjoyed so much the magic words. I almost felt like an agent of the federal government. Charge it, charge it. And then one day, Papa called me by my formal name, William, which was never a good sign. And Papa called me into the dining room, and there on the table, every charge slip, each one representing a transaction at Strout's store. And Papa wanted an explanation. Well, I pleaded ignorance, and it must have been convincing, or else the punishment would have been worse. As it was, I had to do chores to make up for those charge slips. And the worst part, I had to go with Papa down to Mr. Strout's store and make a public apology, which was terribly embarrassing. Now, I learned some things from that experience. One of them was this. Every kind of correspondence can get lost occasionally in the United States mail system, except one kind. The charge slips never go astray. They always make it home. Notice Jesus' response to the devil in the wilderness. Our Lord does not argue with him, does not negotiate with him. Never negotiate with Satan. Never. Because if you do, you're the only one who will be doing any compromising. He never does. Once we see the devil's fingerprints on some idea some plan, some deal, reject it out of hand. Jesus turned immediately to his foolproof standard defense, Holy Scripture. He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And there Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It's amazing how much Scripture Jesus had committed to memory and remember, the only scripture Jesus had was what we call the Old Testament. You and I are blessed to have both the Old and the New Testament. How many precious verses of truth have you committed to memory? The pastor, Rick Warren, says, if you don't have any verses memorized, you don't have any bullets in your gun. Satan offered Jesus a shortcut toward the good life, and he's doing it still today. He's offering you and me a variety of shortcuts. Let me mention several of them. First of all, he offers a theological shortcut. Satan whispers something like this. You know that Christianity is out of step with the American culture. It is. It's countercultural. Uh, as an example... In the movies, how do they portray Christians? Either as a, a, a narrow-minded bigot or a Bible-thumping fanatic. Uh, Christianity is unpopular in America with many, many people. And so, Satan says, I want to offer you a revised version of Christianity. It's, this version is much easier much more popular, and 
is culture friendly. In fact, if you want to, you can give it a name. You can call it Christianity Light. And this counterfeit brand does away with the Ten Commandments. No need for them. All you need is one commandment. You know what that is? Be nice. Be nice. Get rid of some other words, Satan says, like sin, for example. Because if you talk about that, it hurts your self-esteem. Get rid of the word repent. Because all that does is conjure up some memories of bad things you've done in the past. The main thing is just be tolerant. Tolerant of everything and everybody. Also get rid of this word judgment. Stop thinking of God as a judge. He's, just, he's as loving as your indulgent grandfather who, who never believes that anything his grandchild does is wrong. It's just cute. That's the way God is. Satan says, and also get rid of the word hell. That's a myth, Satan says. Everybody's going to heaven regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they do. Christianity light also does not require any sacrifice or self-denial. In fact, the motto for this shortcut faith is have fun. If you see something you like, go for it. Now, that's the theological shortcut offered by Satan, and some version of it is being peddled from a whole lot of pulpits in America. But God's GPS says that that Satan shortcut is nothing but the broad, crowded avenue on the road to hell. It reminds me of these words from an old country song. That word broad-minded is spelled S-I-N. I read it in my Bible, thou shalt not enter in. For Jesus shall answer, behold, I never knew you. That word broad-minded is spelled S-I-N. Here's another, a second shortcut. This is a very popular one, financial shortcut. Satan suggests, look, in this American free market economy where you can, you can become a millionaire overnight and maybe even a billionaire, you see, money is the magic carpet to the good life, Satan says. Satan whispers, if you need a little extra money, I know some great ways. Just put me in charge. You may remember the only one person that Jesus ever called a fool. It happened to be a rich farmer, very successful farmer. My goodness, he produced so much in the way of uh, produce that he had to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. And finally, he had those big barns stashed full of stuff which could be turned into money. And he said to himself, man, you've got it made. Settle back. You've got the good life. But God said to him, you fool, you're going to die tonight. And you can't take any of that stuff with you. Who's going to get all your stuff? Let me tell you about a member of a former church of mine. I'm going to call him Bob. That was not his name. He was a bright young banker. He and his wife and their two young children were upwardly mobile, ambitious, Oh, they were a well-educated, bright future. Well, 
a house came on the market that she wanted very much and he thought it would be good for his image. It was way more house than they could afford, but it was in the right neighborhood. His problem was he couldn't come up with enough initial money. He knew how he could cover it after a while, after three or four months. The problem was to come up with the initial money. Well, he came up with a way. And Satan helped him. He gave himself an unofficial, secret, interest-free loan from his own bank. So he was able to purchase the house. And then four months later, he managed to have enough money to pay back the bank secretly, interest-free. But the bank examiner caught it. And he was tried found guilty, served time in prison in Montgomery, Alabama. And in the process, his marriage failed. That shortcut was nothing but a dead end. And then there's another kind of shortcut that Satan is famous for selling. I call it the cult of getting high. And this is the pursuit of pleasure, the surge of adrenaline, the big thrill and it can be sought down a whole lot of different streets. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, risk-taking. The most popular single street is alcohol abuse. You know, most alcoholics do not fit the popular stereotype that you see on television. Most of them deny they have an alcohol problem. Many of them never miss a day of work. But the focus of their lives is on the evenings and the weekends when they can gradually numb themselves to reality with four or five or six drinks or more. Another street in the pursuit of pleasure is drug abuse. The CDC announced that nearly 92,000 Americans died of drug overdoses in one year, 2020. That's a 75% increase over the past five years. And think about it, one year, that's more than all the deaths in the Vietnam War of Americans. Just in one year. Here's a question for all of us. Is there a fix you get regularly a non-prescribed chemical or something else that you're not sure you could live without? If the answer is yes, it could be one of Satan's shortcuts. Now let's go back to Jesus in the wilderness. Notice his response to Satan. He said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You probably remember, that's very close to one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, the first of the Ten Commandments, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. This tells us that God, our God, is exclusive. He will not share His Lordship with anything or anybody. And whatever is today occupying first place in your heart is your God whether that's spelled with a capital G or a small g. 
And you can have only one God at a time. Three years after the wilderness experience that Jesus had, toward the end of his ministry, Satan again approached Jesus with the same old temptation. But this time, Satan's spokesman was one of Jesus' own disciples. In fact, the leader of the disciples, Simon Peter. Because when Jesus told the disciples that he now could perceive that there was an awful cross waiting for him on a hill outside Jerusalem, Simon Peter pulled him aside and said, Never, never, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned to him sternly and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, through Simon Peter, Satan was offering Jesus a different path, a shortcut. Satan was saying, look, Jesus, I can make you the king of the world. And you'll never have to be flogged and spat upon and humiliated You'll never have to wear that crown of thorns or be nailed to a cross. I can skip all that. You shouldn't have to suffer that. You're too good for that. I'll give you the whole world if you'll just do it my way. Now, I wonder, how much did Jesus know way back there in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry about the path of sorrow he would have to walk. Surely he knew he was God's son. He knew he was the Messiah. He had read Isaiah the prophet. And that told him that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. Therefore, he must have known that suffering was in his path. But it was later, you see, near the close of that ministry, that three-year ministry, that he could really see that cross looming starkly on that barren hill outside Jerusalem. And he was human enough to cringe at the thought of it. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so fervently that he perspired blood. And he prayed, oh God, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Have you ever thought that way, prayed that way? Have you ever offered a prayer that sounds something like, like this? Oh God, why am I going through all this suffering and heartbreak and misfortune? Why? Isn't there some bypass you could devise for this dark night of my soul? Have you ever felt that way? I have. I have. Certainly when uh, a brain tumor struck our son. Certainly when a liberal bishop tried to get me fired. Yeah, I've had that thought. I've had that prayer. Have you ever cried out in the middle of a sleepless night something like this? Oh, why God? Why must I go through all this? Jesus did. But Jesus' prayer did not end with the why question. He added these words, not as I will, but as you will. 
My brothers and sisters, real faith is not a human achievement, I don't think. It requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what real faith is. Real faith is trusting God when we don't have all the answers. Real faith is trusting God in the middle of a nightmare, not knowing if the morning will bring any improvement or resolution. Real faith is trusting God even when he doesn't offer a reason or an explanation for what you're going through. Real faith is saying with Isaiah the prophet, I will wait for the Lord even when he hides his face. I will put my trust in him. Why in the final analysis did Jesus reject Satan's shortcut? Because of his commitment to God the Father and his love for us. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? His joy across the centuries has been seeing millions of sinners like you and me forgiven, saved, redeemed, heaven bound. After Jesus was victorious in the wilderness against Satan, the Bible says that angels came and ministered to him and the devil left him for a while. But that was just round one of a fight to the finish. Next week, we're going to consider the climax of the battle. Old Satan thought he had Jesus right where he wanted him, on a cross. But instead of defeating God, that cross sealed Satan's doom. Bad Friday became Good Friday. And God turned that ugly cross into a beautiful instrument of our salvation. Just consider for a moment, what our Savior was willing to do for us. He was willing to be scourged, lashed with an iron-studded whip. He was willing to be spat upon and humiliated. He was willing to be nailed to an old rugged cross. He was willing to endure more pain than we can even imagine. He was willing to be separated temporarily from God the Father he was willing even to taste hell itself for us. And why? I'll tell you why. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is no deal maker. He's a soul saver. He is no salesman. He is a savior. He does not bargain for us. He bleeds for us. Instead of a sordid shortcut, he offers us the gift of salvation. We've been bought with a price, and the price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, never, ever allow Satan to sell you one of his shortcuts. God has a plan for your life, and neither Satan nor all the demons of hell can defeat it. Oh, Satan may harass you. He may delay you. He may aggravate you. But he cannot defeat God's plan for you unless you allow it. And that plan was signed by the blood-stained hand of Jesus and guaranteed by Easter's empty tomb. 
Never forget who Jesus is. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the friend of the friendless. Jesus is the hope of the hopeless. Jesus is the rock of ages. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, crown him today as your personal King of kings and Lord of lords. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, we stand in awe when we consider all that Jesus suffered for us. Our eyes fill with tears when we try to imagine his anguish and agony on our behalf. And we know it's not enough to say thank you. It's not enough just to give you praise. The only proper response is to give you our hearts. And that is just what we do now and forever. Amen.